Welcome back, pop culture theologians. Oh boy, we've got a lot to discuss today because, well, it might be a Annus Horribilis for most of the world, or if you're on Twitter, but it's definitely an Annus Horribilis for many of the episodes we're going to discuss. But we've got our pop culture junkie back here today talking about uh what is it, Anjanette? Your favorite season of The Crown? Um, no, but it's it's there. It's it's a season. <laughs> it's a, it's a season, but we do get to talk about some amazing episodes today. And Jeanette, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, we're sitting here. We're thriving. We're we're hoping for a better season six and maybe season six of America to happen. But you know, we don't know anymore. I mean, season six, I think, will will tear me apart because I know what, what they're going to have to deal with. So I don't know. I'm not hopeful for the season of The Crown. I am slightly hopeful about this country. Um, but it comes in waves. Yeah, not red waves. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> More like a light spotting. Oh, Lord, have mercy. It's like Camilligate all over again. Oh, no. I mean, I know we're not at that episode yet, and that's like... It's a preview. It's a tease for our listeners for the next episode. You know, listeners, you are, we are just so lucky because if there's one person that eats and breathes and sleeps, well, maybe eats, we don't know if you eat the Royals, but (laughs) you know, I mean, if you see and watch these episodes, you're kind of like, should we eat the rich? Like I'm really debating this at the moment. Um, But yeah, it's valid. I know. Internet, I guess I've never asked you before. Like, what made you fall in love with the royal family? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it it is a it's it is a generational love of mine. Um, because my father's family, um, are my my grandparents were Canadians. They didn't become American citizens until the nineteen sixties. The first election, up. yeah, they they the first election they were able to vote in was for JFK, which my grandmother always loved to talk about because she was an Irish Catholic and she got to vote for an Irish Catholic, which is why elections matter and voting matters. Um, But because of that, we did have this like underground, like still firm love of the monarchy um, in that family. But I think so it was a combination of that. And then my mother was just as being a Spanish woman, so enthralled with, um, the love affair of Charles and Diana. And so I grew up with um, paper dolls of fashion of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, which we'll talk about in episode three and the, the clothing and fashion of Diana. And so she became, I would say very early on was one of my North stars growing up. She was, the example of what it meant to be compassionate, to be empathetic, to be unapologetically you in the light of such vitriol and danger. And I have keen memories. Like for me, I have markers in my life of when life shifted and when, you know, reality shifted. And one of those shifts is the death of princess Diana in 1997 um where were so you i was we were um at home we were watching ironically we were watching uh which we'll talk about today too is we were watching on vhs um the film hook 
Get um, ready, friends. If you did not yeah. know a little bit of history, we're going to talk to you about. And we had that. we had taken we had stopped it because we we had another film we had just finished it and we were going to watch it and um, we were getting ready to put in another film and the TV channel came on with a breaking news that the car that Diana um, was in was in an incredible accident and a life just changed. Where were you? Do you? Remember? I have like faint memories of it. But like I remember, um, I think I was coming home from watching a volleyball tournament that my sisters were playing in, mm. and we had gotten home, and it was late or early. I can't remember because of the time change. But I remember that we had just gotten home, and then we were watching the news, and then I went to bed, and I was like, "Oh, she got in a car accident." But then when I woke up the next morning, she was. Yeah. dead and i was like oh shit you know and i i do specifically remember all of that mm. you know i didn't have the same love affair of the royals but my mother did my mother loved the royal family oh. so i know and she was there the week the queen died so <gasps> in england yeah she brought me back all that stuff thanks mary oh my gosh what a wonderful what a wonderful gift i, I do say my mother killed the queen Mother Mary, don't uh, mother, do it. Mother Mary, I know. And we'll get started here, but a little joke for yeah. the listeners. Not a joke about the queen's death. I love the queen. You know, rest in peace. Thank you for your service. Um, but my mother's But she's also wanted... a colonizer. Yep. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. go there. Yep. We're going to go there. Okay. Um, um, but my mother goes to me, you know, uh, what do you want? You know, she's always wanted to go to London. She's always wanted to like travel the sites and see it all. Um yeah. And she goes, well, what do you want me to bring you back? And I said, well, just bring me back like a newspaper or something like with the queen on it. Like I would love to have that or like a pound or something like that with her face. Yeah. Um, and she goes, great. You know, I'm sure there'll be like a fire sale or something like that of items when I'm, when I'm there. And well, there was. it happened. <laughs> I know. It, uh, my I have my mother brought me back the Times and a couple of other newspapers where the covers were the next day, and then she brought me back money with her face on it because I will never accept uh, King Charles the Third as the king. Um, well, see, I, you use the title. That. I won't ever even say. Um, I, know, I know, but that's I. I know you won't say it. <laughs> Hashtag not my king. <laughs> Hashtag not my king, not my president. <laughs> um, I mean. Uncle Joe, Grandpa Joe is still my president. Um, I like Dark Brandon better. I mean, he <laughs> those are my favorite memes. And to listeners who don't know what Dark Brandon is, he struck on November 8th. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, Anjanette. So today we're going to talk about episode three and four of The Crown season five. And I think we should like get into it. What about you? I do too. There's a lot we can talk about. And we're going to talk about your favorite childhood movie too as well. Oh, one of them. Yep, that's right. One of them. Okay, listeners, here we go with our recap of episode three and four. Okay, so Anjanette, episode three is kind of a standalone episode. It's very much... Uh, an introduction episode that we see but it also mixes in a lot of things about the crown and specifically criticism of this season or the royal family that we've talked about yeah and it's definitely a a time jumper um so the first two episodes had 
you know, chronologically kept up into the decade that we're in. And episode three jumps us all the way back to 1946, um, specifically that in Alexandria, Egypt, because we are being the introduced to a new player into the crown. And that will become Muhammad Al-Fayed. Or um, as we like to call him. Mumu. Mumu. Yeah. I, I, mean, I loved him. I have to say, like, he stole the sh- he stole the screen every time he was on for me. He's he's very charismatic and um and a screen catcher. One hundred percent. You're right on. Um, it, it keeps you drawn into you want to know more about Mumu. Yeah, you want to know more. And so we're introduced to him in Egypt in 1946. He's playing soccer um, and it's really a young Mumu. Um kind of seeing what the royal family is like, what the British are like, and having this kind of first introduction um, at the arrival of King Edward and Wallace Simpson. Yep, as the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, and he's immediately royal struck. He's like, and they, at this time, he's already, the Duke has already abdicated, so they are just the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, but they do have a lot of um fanfare a lot of people did love him and did really love their love affair that he was willing to give up the highest throne in the land for the love of a woman um and an american divorcee at that and so we're introduced to mumu and we very much so i feel like this episode is an equal episode highlighting the importance of the british commonwealth and why colonization is still fundamentally part of the monarchy and uh, also a critiquing of it and then also a critiquing of those that either want to play into the colonization game or reject the colonization game so we're also introduced to another important player from the background that we never knew um a man named Sydney. Who's Sydney, Anjanette? Sydney is the um, butler valet of the Duke of Windsor that goes through the rest of um, the Duke of Edward's life, becomes his right-hand man, his morning sun, and his evening nightcap. And what we will see throughout the episode is that Sydney, through the course of his career, gets thrown into the life of Mumu and Mumu and him will then become friends. Um, he will become the valet to Mumu and then be enter Mumu into the refined gentleman life. And I think it's also inter- uh, interesting because Sydney is a Bahamian from the Bahamas, a black man and represents this, upward scale of colonialization of if you use the power structures you can be elevated into circles and but because of skin color you will always be designated to certain circles and that's something mumu does early yes. on when he sees them but i mean so we're introduced to mumu but then we're also introduced to like a guy who i think plays a little role in the history of the royal family i mean that's his son who's his son internet his son, um, as we are the first eight minutes of the episode, is just introducing Mumu, and it's all done in Arabic. 
and will have his son will be born and he will give him um the the nickname of Dodi Afayed um and that is his son and and it's important because Dodi becomes Diana's very public lasting boyfriend after they get divorced in the 19 1996 and it is Dodi um, that dies with Diana in yeah. spoiler right. spoiler alert if you are new to this world um I hope you know this sorry if we just broke your heart <laughs> but you're definitely gonna have your heart broken last time so okay so we're introduced to Mumu and Dodi who will probably call them uh that because it's easier uh for yeah. the rest of the episode um and then we really see not only you know I think it's interesting because we go into, French society, but we go into this level of society where Mumu's really climbed the social ladder. He's become very rich and very powerful. And, you know, you know, ergo his son is also powerful through his father. Um, and they are buying in France in 1979 um, a, a little hotel. Do you know what hotel <laughs> they're buying? I, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. The Ritz. Yes, the Ritz. And, you know, this is why... Um, <clears throat> I think listeners on this podcast will understand. I, I don't really like the French. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. But that's a story for another time, not in public. Um, in case they ever run for president one day, <laughs> we need relations between the French and the Americans. That's right. Um, however, uh, the French hoity-toity attitude of the original owner of the Ritz uh, really comes out here. But you really see this kind of old versus new mixing in a lot of ways that the crown has always been pushing in a way. Like, this is the future. You are the past. And really, like, money can buy you all that you have. It's, you know, really establishing people as almost maybe more powerful than the royal family, but still not as powerful because they're not royal in that way. And we see Mumu talking to the owners and has literally offered to buy the Ritz and has offered millions of dollars more yeah. than the previous offers. And the woman's like, no. And it's important to note that the, the contract, like it first starts with Mumu talking to um madame ritz in english like in english and then she starts to really um show her hand and that she does not care for him and plays a little of a racism card and he immediately switches into arabic forcing dodi to translate what and, a power move it's such right a power it's move. such a power move and it shows and i mean he's willing to offer above the other ask the other offers on the table and they're willing to give um madame ritz 18.6 million dollars which know. is an astronomical you know price even today like it's still not and um he does another power move and he's like, well, fine. Like Bye-bye. you, dis- yeah, you disrespected me and Dodie switches to French, which is another pair of power play and says like, you could have had my father as an ally, but you chose a different path. So bye. bye. And then she, then she rethinks it and then they will end up um, becoming the major shareholders into the Ritz in Paris, which is how, Mumu gets introduced to not only 
Sydney, the valet to the king, but also to his second wife. <laughs> to his second wife. Yes, he has a thing for blondes and uh, white white Nordic looking women. Shocking. Yes. His, his son does as well. Yes, yes. And it, it's important to note that um, this is how much of a royal um, scholar I, I, ta- I try to be, is that I, I researched Mumu's first wife because we got to talk about her too, because Mumu's first wife is a woman named Samira um, Kashagoi or Kashagi. Um, she was a very known, famous Saudi Arabian author. She was a feminist. She established the founding of the Al um, Shakira magazine. Her father was the personal doctor to the king of Saudi um, or of the Saudi family. And her brother um, was also a very important person. Her second daughter is uh, works the uh, magazine. So there's a lot of wealth and a lot of power that Mumu is accumulating and gaining through allegiances. Um, so that's Dodie's mother is this amazing feminist activist um writer on top of i love Mumu. the fayads they're amazing yeah and um and then he marries uh henny who is a finnish woman they're still married today um and they have four children yeah i mean i just when i thought about the climbing of mumu or mohammed it was something of like a fairy tale in a lot of ways it's one of those yeah. rags to riches stories yeah. um but it's one of those, um, when we think about, I always go back to like that scene on the Titanic when, you know, Rose's mother is like, she's new money when she talks about Kathy Bates, right? I always feel like yeah. that's the same type of thing. If you watch like The Gilded Age, shout out to the campiest, queerest show of them all on HBO. <laughs> Can't wait for that to come back. But that's something that the Crown's narrative has always been dealing with, this classism, this imperialism, this this system of oppression that keeps people out when they just want to get in. Same thing with the French, by the way. But yeah. ultimately, here we see the French acquiescing to allow them to take off. And this is where, yes, you're completely right. Um, Fayed spots a black waiter um, serving guests, and he instructs Dodie to get rid of him because it's right. like, oh my God, you know, it's going to ruin the Ritz's reputation. So you think that, you know, you're introduced to this man who you kind of like right away, but then you're like, oh, he's a racist. Shocker, right? But then what we see Dodie doing after he complies because he needs his father for all the stuff that he does is he says, well, that was Sidney Johnson. He was once then King Edward's valet, and this automatically piques Fayed's interest because we have, as we've talked about, he's in love with the royal family. Right. And he sees that there's something to be useful. Um, and I think there's there's a level of today we look at it and, and it's very much a colorism issue is that while Sydney is definitely part of the you know Commonwealth, he has been introduced to the royal family. He has always been regulated to the serving of the royal family of the higher echelons. And that's largely because of his his color. Whereas Mumu, I think we really get this visual, is that Mumu being of, of a lighter skin is able to negotiate circles in a more upward mobility 
stance because of this very, very prevalent, pervasive um, understanding we have currently of colorism, of that lighter skin will always be welcomed into circles. Um, but just Mo- Mumu has to prove it a little bit more and he has to throw his money all around. Yeah, and we see him starting to take over and introduce Mumu to etiquette, British yeah, society, he, everything. Yeah, he be we have it. I they think I think they do it really well in this episode of juxtaposing two different storylines, and so you see Sydney being taught by the Duke of Windsor what it means to be the valet to the king, what it means to be an English gentleman. And it's juxtaposed with Sydney doing that same education to Mumu. Yeah. And ultimately what I think we're seeing here is someone. It's not like a self-improvement story in a way, but it's very much like, I think Mumu taking a turn that has led him into the history books to become, you know, this key to everything. And so we see, you know, take him taking these lessons to heart. Um, and then we see him attending something that we see him do later on in the episode. And it's a horse competition. And do the royals love horses? They, abs- they absolutely do. I mean, British, the upper echelons of British society is still 100 percent. um cemented around horses so you have polo you have um equine um showcases and then you also have ascot so um, if you are any follower of the royals you know that the number one most fashion forward fashion centric event of the year is ascot week which will be really interesting this coming year because um, the royal family has issued a no fashion commentary of um, royal appearances, so I don't know how they're going to handle Ascot this year, but I live for Ascot because the hats and the dresses, I could care less about the horses. You know, <laughs> Give me those I, I mean, dresses and hats. It's, it's, it's like the Kentucky Derby. We're not here for the horses. Right. We're here for the stuff. And the queen is there actually just for the horses. <laughs> She's there for the horses. And this is... Um, it's interesting because Sydney and Mumu have a conversation because Sydney's like, why do you want me to do this? And, and Mumu says, um, because British society is the finest in the world. And if you teach me, I will become a rare thing of a British gentleman. And Sydney then responds, well, everything begins and ends with the Royal family and And you need to, yeah. And you need to be somehow um, seen in their presence you need to be known by them and then everything else will open for you. So it becomes a mission for Mumu to get access to the queen. And, and how does what, he do that? He does that by um, using his weight as being a shareholder of the Ritz to buy um, tickets to this equine um, equestrian event. And he almost gets blocked because, you know, he's a brown man coming into a very white uh, event Sydney, you know, is like, hey, he's a member, gets in. Sydney almost gets stopped um, and then shows his membership, but they get seated about three or four rows back from the queen. And Mumu is like, I paid, and these tickets were supposed to be next Getting me to the close queen. to the queen. 
And the person sitting next to the queen is the largest shareholder of the largest um, department store department store in England called Harrods. Have and you it ever was been Harrods. to Harrods? I have. What was your um, experience? I absolutely. So there was a couple reasons why I went. I went solely because of the connection between of the Al-Fayed family. Stalker. I know. Um, because Mohammed has put on the, the bottom floor of Herod when he, um, it's no longer there anymore. Um, but it was a statue and a memorial to Dodie and Diana um, in the basement. And then also Herod's has an amazing food hall. And so I also went because I was like, I really want to have good food. And I did. Did I go shopping in the regular part of Harrods? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, you're just there. Yeah. And so we see Dodie now yet again do the back of the table math, the back of the envelope math. And he's like, okay, so I can get to the queen if I, I don't know, pay $600 million to buy Harrods. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well, I bought the Ritz and now I need to somehow get into Harrods because Harrods is already doing an event that the queen shows up to. So he proposes to Dodie and his brothers um, that they're going to buy Harrods. And, and then we have another interaction, though, between a common theme that we're seeing between Mumu and Dodie is that Dodie really wants to go out on his own many ways. And how does he want to go out on his own? He wants to establish a production um, company to finance films. And like, for example, Anjanette, like, <laughs> I mean, so yes, so you're completely right. So Mumu buys Harrods. You're for six hundred million pounds. pounds, and it's like a, it's a it's a lot of um free government cheese. Um, yep. and so we then see Doty moving over, and we this episode as we've talked about has a lot of time jumps. Mm-hmm. But we see Doty and Mumu get into a fight about him wanting to get out on his own, um, and claims that he can't stand on his own two feet if his father's always yeah. kind of standing in that way and this I, that was a true. very yeah and that's a very powerful scene because we don't usually see narratives of a positive father-son relationship and Dodie, you know calls out mumu and says like you want me to stand on my own but you're cutting me out and mumu listens and realizes oh my gosh you're right and him and Dodie create um, Allied Stars production. And we see the next scene is um, a filming of a scene of a movie. And, okay, so we're going to pause here for a second because this film company um, became and was very well known in the entertainment industry. Still, um, I don't think it, does it still no. exist today? No, it doesn't um, still exist today. No. And so they made a number of movies, one that won them the Academy Award, which was called Chariots of Fire. It won the 1981. um, It gained seven Oscar nominations. It won four, including Best Picture. It was given 11 nominations of the BAFTAs, the British um, Awards, and won three. Um, Both of those um, were best films. So this and this film chariots of fire if you don't know um is based on a true story of an of an american 
athlete who, and it's, it deals with Christian and Jewish racial, religious um, inequalities during the 1924 um, Olympics. And it's still a remarkable, it's considered a, a classic film. In, um, and it has American an amazing um, soundtrack that's very yes, it iconic. It's that, I'm not going to sing it for you, but it has a very famous <laughs> soundtrack. Um, but, you know, Anjanette, like you kind of mentioned it earlier in um, the episode, but like what other films has it produced? So the the two other big hitting films that Allied Stars production um, financed was that of Hook, um, starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, um, Dante Brasco, and Julia Roberts, and The Scarlet Letter, star- starring um, what Winona, Winona Ryder and um, Sirius Black. <laughs> what's his name? Um, Gary Gary Oldman. Yes. Um, and what's your favorite movie? Hook. One of my childhood favorite films is Hook. Um, so good. And like. We have so much, like, Hook walked, so all of the new, current (laughs) Disney um, live-action films could run. Like, this was one of the first times that we saw a live-action fairy tale um, story become, you know, live-acted. And it's a phenomenal film. And Hook walked so once upon a time? (laughs) That's right. That once upon a time, once seasons run. one through four, or right, because exactly. Anjanette, yes, Anjanette and I are. What do we call her? What are they called? Oncers? What do we call Once- ourselves? Yeah, yeah, Oncers. <laughs> and um, by the way, that show's in desperate need of a rewatch for me personally. I love that show so much. I mean, the who they got to cast as Hook. Oh man, till the day I die, when I think about Hook now, it's always going to be Colin O'Donnell, um, Killian Jones, but. We I'm wouldn't have had that. Oh, yes, we wouldn't God. have that if we didn't have Hook. And there's so many scenes of, like, it's one of Robin Williams' um, golden films, him playing Peter Pan and Peter Banning. And our generation is a generation of Rufio. Like, we, when you say Rufio, you know what we're talking about. You, you know, know what exactly you, what we're talking about. You know, and and um, shout out to Dante Brasco because mm, he's our generation. And so they, that's Doty, you know, and the only reason I think, or one of the reasons Allied Stars is no longer in existence is because of the death of Doty, is that this was his passion project, this was his, and um, this is, you know, it creates, you know, we'll fast forward a little bit of, this is why it was such a, a dazzling love affair between Diana and Doty is that he was connected to Hollywood. He had the glitz. He had the glam. He was, um, for all intensive purposes, a, a, a very good-looking man. And they had the money. I think this is this episode is really important because it shows how much money and power and um, connections that the Al-Fayed family has. It does. And so we see this little-known movie company become quite a force in Hollywood, and we see the Fayeds watching Chariots of Fire. Um, his father's there um, watching it done. They talk about it. But then we cue to the Oscars and Chariots of Fire wins Best Picture. And 
Mumu is watching on his television screen back home, and we see him say the the producer and director of the film, the director of the film, saying this couldn't have happened without the Fayeds. And at that time, with American culture being what it was, much like us here worshiping at the altar of pop culture, um, the everyone watched the Oscars, everyone tuned in to watch it. And so when someone said your name like that, especially mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles and Hollywood, it was kind of like that seal of approval that you were you were in. Right. And this is the 1980s and Islam in 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 the Middle East in the 1980s does not is already having negative stereotypes um, placed onto in American culture. So for their names to be mentioned as being the crux of how this film comes to be is revolutionary and opens doors in a lot of ways. Um many and, ways. Yeah, no, it's it's a beautiful scene. So then we see the Fayads finally bought Herod's, but Sydney um, sadly can't celebrate with him. And, Be- yeah, you know, because the Duchess of Windsor has passed. The Duchess of Windsor has passed. So, Anjanette, walk us through a little bit of. So, the last time we saw the Duchess of Windsor was, I believe, in season three of the Crown, when uh, the Duke of Windsor passed, and she says famously to the then you know prince charles and says you know don't trust your family like they will do whatever you know they can to stop you um but you know she's had a life you know what has happened to her um since ed you know edward has gone bye-bye she sadly the show does highlight and does a very poignant um hard scene to watch of the decline of the duke the duchess of windsor and how um, she was a recluse for the last 10 years of her life. She was a shut-in. She had mental decline. She she was riddled with arthritis and she dies alone, um, which is a very in a crumbling house that once was uh, the high society of British expats in France. Um, and that's just largely because once the Duke dies, her attachment her access and her attachment to the royal family ceases to exist so it's gone um and we see that really sadly go um but then like with all things when she's buried and where is she buried anjanette she is buried alongside her husband the duke of um windsor in frogmore um castle or frogmore palace or frogmore place or whatever it's changed it's been become palace it's become cottage and all the while but it's important to know it's this place that both of them are buried at is the residency that harry and megan will then be given when harry and megan start off their married life as working royals which is a very, very one-to-one parallel of how the British family sees, the royal family sees Harry and Meghan. Meghan is an American socialite. She was an actress. She's also divorcee, just as Wallace Simpson was an American socialite and a divorcee. And just as Edward chose to abdicate the throne so that he could live a life with the woman that he loves. Harry has also um, been forced to throw off his um, royal duties for the safety, well-being, and joys of his family. Um, So when we think about this home and this space, 
it's also then, as we come to see, you know, with Sydney home to many uh, trinkets uh, that, yeah. it's, well, first and foremost, it's completely run down. And Sydney notifies, you know, Fayed um, that it needs to kind of get back up. So what does he do? Like he does every time. He buys it and then he spends three years refurbishing it and he buys everything in the house, all of the artifacts, all of the memorabilia, all of the jewels and the wealth, and then spends a lot of money for three years to restore it back to its glory. Um, and then he renames it Villa, Villa Windsor. Mm-hmm. And it's an and, act that the royal family simply cannot ignore. But you think they would not ignore it for like a nice gesture, but really, why can't they ignore it? They can't ignore it for a very poignant scene. Because they're hoarders. Um, a, and there are, um, they love to take things that aren't theirs and claim it for themselves. And put them all in one little house. <laughs> yes. And the queen's attendant um, has all of her, you know, the queen mom, Princess Margaret, Prince Philip, and the queen are there and informs them of the refurbishment and that uh, Muhammad, you know, Mumu has gone onto the news and talked about hit the glory of the British, you know, family and all these relics. And they're like, oh, no, we're not going to go visit because we couldn't anyways because of Edward. Because, side note. Um, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor were known Nazi um, sympathizers during the yeah, time there, yeah, of World War II. There. And that was largely because they bought this um, belief that the Nazis were proposing to put Edward back onto the crown. And Edward was like, oh, yeah, I would love to be back on the crown. Um, so there's a lot of royal um, biographers that say that maybe he wasn't like full on a Nazi sympathizer dealing with like eugenics and the eth- you know ethnic cleansing and... they they always claim that he did not know about that but part. yeah but you know we have some of his correspondence but now we're kind of yeah. like mm, we're like mm, girl we see you right and so the queen was like i'm not go i couldn't go when he was alive i'm not going to go when he's when he's dead nor when she's died and so the att- hit her um assistant which is just like, so funny because like Mumu is like, oh, you know, they're expecting this whole big show to come back, and who shows up? <laughs> but the, the, attendant. the attendant, yeah, the attendant uh, or the uh, um, a personal assistant, and that's largely because when he lists the things that are present at the house, the queen mother's all like, oh no, that belongs to the royal collection. That belongs to the royal collection. And then the attendant's like, well, there's these jewels, and the queen Elizabeth goes, those are my jewels. So they have <sighs> to go get them back, and. Half of the stuff that was mentioned weren't even British owned, um, but they were, you know, products of the Commonwealth. And we see this really neat thing when they come up, they take everything, they leave, <laughs> and Sydney is like pissed because he's, you know, like they didn't even respect you. And Mumu is ecstatic. He's like, I just made the queen very happy. <laughs> right. Right. Um which is a funny, it's, it's, I think it shows also the level of, you know, colonization of those that see what's happening and then those that see it as an uproad mobility, which is Mumu. Well, also like, the hey. fact that money blinds him. It's like he did this yeah. for a very specific reason. Yeah. He and he owns the home. Exactly. And then what ends up happening also is we see the decline of the health of Sydney, which is honestly, it was such a touching um, scene is that. Mumu then takes over the health and care of Sydney and ultimately Sydney passes. Um, and 
Muhammad pays for his burial site and on his burial it says Sidney Johnson um valet to the king um so it's always and you can still go to his um burial site but this brings us to um full stop our next, we're back we're back we're back into England and Mumu has made it back to he's the made Herod's it. he's made um, it equestrian um event he is he brought sitting. his oscar he brought his oscar he brought That's the right. keys to herod's he's like i'm ready to sit next to the queen he's in the seat the seat next to him is empty and he is waiting for the queen to show up and does she show up so she does but she sees mumu from afar and, and claims like with, it oh god i don't i i guess i have to sit next to him now take care of that will me of that for that will me <laughs> like yeah it's just like it's like, and so uh, she chooses to sit with her her sister and her best friend Porchy, um, and then the the her assistant puts Diana, um, as that's her now role, and um, this is where we see for me this is the quintessential scene so far in the season is the meeting of Diana and Mumu. Yeah, and. It's it's a really touching scene between the both of them. She's like, you're stuck with me, I guess. And they have a lot of fun together. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I've, I have been very harsh on some of the acting choices, the casting choices of this season. Um, I, I didn't feel like Elizabeth DeBecky channeled the true spirit of Diana in the first two episodes. But this scene for me is diana like i watch it and i'm like there's there's the diana there's the princess diana the people's princess the one that joked and laughed and was effervescent um everything about it to the tone of her voice to the dress to the hair is spot on in this moment and diana and mumu become fantastic friends Yes, and like with all things Diana loves, fashion, trinkets, and she's like, a, a gift watch, bag. A gift, <laughs> yeah, bag, a, gift bag. a gift bag from Harrods, and it's hysterical. And the episode ends with Margaret, actually, who then we cue into episode four for, you know, musing that out of an acorn of simple kindness, an oak tree of happiness yes. will grow. Of that, you know, Diana and Mumu seem to be, you know, hitting it off that he's not slighted, that it's not the queen. And this is, I do feel like there is that undercurrent of Peter Morgan just trying to decimate Queen Elizabeth. Um, because you have n never in her reign have you saw her um, shirk a, a, a duty an appearance you know a role and it made it seem like she wasn't willing to do her role and but maybe again it's a critiquing of colorism maybe and the new clat the new rich and the old rich and so who knows how this reads but it is a very interesting um but i absolutely love that verse uh, quote from princess margaret of the oh. acorn to the oak tree so episode three ends I loved it. And we go into episode four, which really comes down to being um, the main theme is everything is horrible. That's right. This is the dumpster fire in a tornado, in a hurricane for with the sharks. royal family. Yeah, with sharks. This is um, the Sharknado hurricane twister. Yep. 
um, of the the year for the royal family, which the Queen Elizabeth titles Annus Horribilis. And what does that mean? A horrible year. A horrible year. I love when the we'll get there, but when the Queen Mother's like, since oh we're speaking, God. since we're speaking Latin now, <laughs> Tempus Fugit, <laughs> and it's like, and I'm just like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Time forgets. It's like, wait, I haven't taken Latin in years. Leave me alone. I know. Um, but this, the the episode starts with, um, it's one of those jump back scenes. So you start with the queen in a car. She looks like she's either sad or she's sniffling. And then she walks into a room and then it's a flashback of you get rewounded of the year um, because it's, it's a celebration of the 40 years of Queen Elizabeth's reign. So we go back um, that year and we first focus on Margaret, who I know, Marcy, and you love Leslie Manville. She's played very well here. This is the scene where she becomes Margaret. This is the episode where she becomes Margaret for me. Yes. Whereas last episode, yes. she became Diana for you. So walk us through the really great life Margaret's had. I mean, she she gets to do all these royal duties. No one ever criticizes her. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking, of course. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Margaret's life yeah. and what's going on here. I mean, shout out to Leslie Manville because this is her episode. And if she does not get an um, Emmy nomination for this episode, like this episode is carried on the back of Leslie Manville. Um, and we start off by um, seeing snippets of Margaret um, waking up and Margaret um, being interviewed by a radio show and talking about she's in this the season of her life where she's reviewing the course of her life. And as we've seen in the other seasons, Margaret has had it had it really, really tough in regards to being an adjacent member to the crown. And being, being denied the love of her life. life. Yeah, being denied the love of her life, which was Peter Townsend. Um, and then marrying the very hot um photographer, but who was very, very volatile, and then and having also- that homosexual right um having you know children with um them but then also divorcing and then just being utterly lost in the weight of the adjacentness of the clown she's also she was a very very known heavy drinker smoker partier um and the like right and a lot of things and so what we see is that in this course of this radio show, she's talking about music. She's talking about dance. She's talking about the loves of her life. We see this older gentleman listening to the radio who is played by none other than Timothy Dalton, which can I also talk about how it was very shocking for me to see how aged, aged. Timothy Dalton is because Let's I remember see. when Oof. that man was James Bond. Yes. Oof. <laughs> And I was all like, wait, I am not ready for all of this aging to happen in real time, in real life. Um, And Peter, uh, Timothy Dalton will play Peter Townsend, the aged Peter Townsend. And what we see is this episode is really focused on Mary, but on the detrimental cycles and the demands of the crown and how it has started to shift and crack and break in this new generation of Royals. So he is inspired to write a letter to the, to the princess to say, to, Hey, are you going to that event? 
right right and are, are you going to the reunion of um the the ship that we were on because you know i am and i would love to see you and it you know margaret starts to think about it she shows up to the queen and hashtag um i'll have to mention something that marcy texted both of us was like marcy just can't get over how every single episode they're showing queen elizabeth serving tea which is something that was like what she's the she's the queen if she can't have someone serving her own tea what's going on i know and margaret of all people it's just so funny because like she goes to elizabeth her sister she's going to elizabeth her sister to like say like oh my god like my my boy my like love of my life emailed or <laughs> wrote me a letter you know <laughs> emailed right and she's just like huh <laughs> and she's like she's completely <laughs> and yeah and queen elizabeth's like i don't think it was love at first sight and, and margaret's all like yes it was she goes yes it was lady uh, and it's, they, it's you know, hysterical. it's we see a cracking too of the Margaret Elizabeth sister um, that Margaret has never forgiven, nor has she forgotten the role that Elizabeth played in tearing Margaret and Peter um, apart. So they go to the um, the reunion. Margaret and Peter hit off margaret starts to shine again and um the next scene we see is um the horrible person that he is prince andrew getting ready to go see his mother and by the way this podcast hates prince andrew as you all should that's right um because he is a horrible person who has done horrible things to to people um and has used his power privilege and um position to escape all all sorts of things but this scene is andrew going to his mother talking mummy, about his mummy his mummy yep you're right to talk about the desolation of his marriage and that's largely because um the news has caught on to sarah ferguson's getting her toes um, sucked yeah her her rampant love affairs with other men and it's important to note that the picture that of her with the man um on the poolside was done with tele what is it tele something lenses like it was through it was outside i mean it was distance for someone to try and find um and get this picture so it's a horrible breach of privacy a but what this is different and Andrew talks about is like this this is different because now all of the public knows that Sarah's cheating on me, that she's been doing all of these horrendous sexual practices um with me. And I mean the queen is absolutely horrified, A, because of the sexual explicitness of the pictures and what's happening, and B, because we know for a fact that the Queen and Sarah were thick as thieves. Um and she remarks about how Sarah was a breath of fresh air and that she had this infectious laugh. And Andrew basically was like, I don't blame her. I blame us with meaning the family and talks about how the family does not um, 
has this fallacy and this illusion that they want this these new members, this fresh air, someone that's unique and different and but ultimately the system, the structure of the family, the crown snuffs it out and yep. and kills it or it turns it um and that um divorce is the only option. Divorce and, is the only option, something the queen cannot fathom. And he basically, and and this shows the power of the favoritism of Andrew. He doesn't even give an option. He's all like, "Mom, mummy, this mommy. is what's happening." Mummy, and she's just kind of like, "But wait, we I just finally had to acquiesce and allow Anne to divorce Mark." And he's like, "I don't care. This is happening." <laughs> he's like, "We're done." And then we see, you know, Margaret really you know coming back with peter and um it's and then it's so sad because we see margaret is. responding saying yes of course i'm going to go to this thing and then her and margaret you know you know margaret and peter townsend have this reunion in a way but then we see the juxtaposition of the queen's relations with her children and essentially she allows anne to divorce divorce <laughs> She allows Andrew to divorce. She eventually allows uh, Charles to divorce. But then Princess Margaret has this whole time where they walk together with Townsend and she's there and he can see her again. And he's kept all of her love letters and all these things. And she's having this reminiscent moment. And then we see Margaret really go to her sister to, you know, say, I, I can't, I need, I need this. And, it, it gets pretty ugly yeah and there is an important scene where like Anne goes to her mom and says like i have given everything for duty i work you know five engagements a day 300 and days Princess a year Anne is and it's very well known a very hard worker yes and she carries like historically after you know even during diana like she was carrying the foundation of the the monarchy and she still is um, she 100% she's the workhorse of the royal family and it's one of the things where she tells you know Queen Elizabeth like I give everything else 300 um, days of the year I'm not giving all of me and this part that I'm keeping is going to marry this new man named Timothy Lawrence who she's still currently married to but th it's important to note that Timothy Lawrence Tim is almost an exact replica of what Peter Townsend was. They were both um, working for the royal family. They were equerries. Um, and in this love affair, one of them is somehow divorced. So whereas for Princess Margaret, it was Peter Townsend that was the divorcee. In this go around, it's Anne that is the divorcee. Um but she will ultimately be able to to marry Timothy Lawrence. They go to to Scotland because Scotland doesn't have a stipulation of her as the head of the church, right? But also that they're not really stuck on if your first husband's still alive, you can't get married. Whereas the Church of England is very much like you have to wait basically till your first um, spouse dies before you you remarry again. But what happens is that Margaret is just really getting inundated with how much her life was ruined because 
the queen refused to allow her to marry Prince uh, Peter Townsend. And then we see Charles go to the queen and start talking about how complain. Yeah. He's like, and this, I wanted to like blow things up. Um, because he goes to the queen and says like, I've tried everything that I, you know, I've given everything to this marriage. If it was just incompatibility or infidelity, it'd be one thing, but it's just, Diana is just vindictive and she wants to blow the crown up. And so we need to have an official. um, And this is all over a book, all over a book. And he's like, I've tried for 11 years. And the queen just basically doesn't like she lets him say anything. And then she counters by saying, Anne and Andrew are different. You are the heir apparent. You are the future king. You are different. Um, You are the representative of God's law of the church of England, that there is an oath that you will take, that it is expected for the monarch to be married and to produce an heir. It is not an expectation for you to be happily married. It is not a requirement and thus suck it up, buttercup. Suck it up, buddy. And um, I love how she just slaps back at him. She's like, yeah, (laughs) no. And then Charles is like, well, we wanted a modern monarchy and and look, we are a modern monarchy. It just is not how it's um, how we thought it would be. It's because everyone's now divorced Margaret and Anne and Andrew and I want a separation. Um, and then he does a line that I was like, oh, dang. He says, if this was a modern family, if we didn't have the crown protecting us the way that we do, social services would have been called during my childhood you would have been locked up and we would have put it been put into a different home with the amount of the the things that he was denied or um boo hoo hoo i have to be king of england right and um which god it was so i was all like you know what charles like i still <laughs> you're not nothing about this season is winning me over or making it a, a, a successful apologetic towards well, Charles. Well, then things get even worse for the queen because what happens? There's a fire at the Windsor Castle. Which is famously one of her favorite castles. Yep. Um, and a lot of things happen. A lot of things burned. Um, and, and then it went on a, for a long time. Like this fire did. was going on on the news, like and it was raining, and people. It was it was a out. couple days, like it was a couple days that the fire, um, before they were able to get it all out, and then it's um after the fire and and Liz and and Philip hug in the ruins of Windsor Castle, which almost feels like an allegory of like the ruins of British monarchy, like Literally. what was. The British monarchy is no more, and it's in those am- embers and ashes. And then we see Margaret talking to Peter, and Peter's like, I have all these letters. I'm going to give them to you that you wrote because I don't want when I die. And he's someone, very ill, too. Yeah, someone to get a hold of all of these very intimate letters. And she's like, well, I kept yours as well. And it is important to note that these letters, this correspondence, um, will not be released into the public until 2030. Um, but then it will be put into the archive and we will have access to the correspondence between 
Margaret and Oof. Peter Townsend, which I can't wait for that. Um, but he's dying and he asks her, like, I just had to know, was our love a fleeting one or was it a lasting one? Um, which is a really sad, just Margaret just is just utterly devastated at towards the end of this episode. And then she goes and, and talks to the queen. And, they <laughs> and yes, then she comes with all of her anger, her hurt, her her wounds, and talks to the queen. And the queen is just utterly devastated that the Win- Windsor Castle is, you know, in ruins. And M- Margaret's all like, well, let's look at this as like an Agatha Christie novel. Like and it, someone did it. And it had to have been someone from the family. It had to have been someone from inside the house, queen. And then she talks about, but I think it was really important that when Margaret mentions Diana, she's like, Diana frustrated over being neglected for years. So Margaret sees what was the true um, relationship between Diana and Charles. And then she talks about like Andrew being um, brought up to being irresistible and um you know invulnerable now realizes that his sole purpose in life is to be humiliated which i was like go off margaret go Go off but then she says you know i loved how she's like diana had a reason to burn your house down andrew had a reason to burn your house down charles has a reason to burn her house down and so does your sister and they like look at each other and then she just leashes out and like says you know you got and you know to marry Tim Lawrence, despite that union being bridled in the same circumstances that literally prohibited her and Peter's marriage. And, you know, touche, Margaret. Right. And she, and she says, like, out. without without um, sun and water, crops fail. And Peter was my son and water. And you destroyed my life, basically. Yeah. So. And the queen was responded was like, I didn't. The queen did. Yeah. It's not me. It's my other personality. So then we come back to the day that we started the episode and the queen is. She's getting ready. Getting ready. Um, And what we know is that she's hoarse. Her voice is a little hoarse from the smoke inhalation. And she's she's She got a cold. And this is this is this thread that we've talked about last episode um, of showing the queen's frailty. Is that she's sick. And For the yet, first time, because in the previous seasons, it was like, she was not. Right. And so she's getting ready. And um, all of a sudden we see, which I still to this, like, I will never understand this casting of whoever they picked for the queen mother. Because this woman looks like a crazy homeless bag lady. She is. She just pales um, in comparison. There's anyways, she basically starts to chastise Elizabeth saying, you can't say this speech. And it's um, Ripley's. Yeah, you you can't. This this is a personal statement. The crown is not meant to do this. Um, and she says, um, you either you need to cancel it because a you're sick, so just cancel it. Sit in, and then sit in your bed. Right, and then says, you know why we have three questions we I ask love this scene. I we use say, this all the time. Right, I'm going to use it now forever. Is does it need saying? Does it need saying now? And does it need saying by me? I mean, it's everyone so needs to live by these questions. These three questions, I think, was. Um, and we see that Philip is is listening in on this conversation. And this is where we get the Queen Mother's all like, if you're going to use Latin, Tempest Fugit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time forgets. <laughs> right. 
Um, and it's like, or, you know, do, do not make a, a personal statement. Um, the crown is meant to be above that. And, um, and Philip comes in and I mean, this scene is, you know, very right. So the, the Philip stuff like butts in because the queen base, the queen mother says the monarchy is the only part of the constitution with an element of the divine where you wear the crown, you are transfigured. Apologizing Sully's not just your dignity, but God's. Yeah. And Philip walks in and like literally tells her to like fuck off. He was like, right. she has been there time and time again. She has the right to say what she wants. And then to her credit, you know, the queen says back to the queen mother, he's like, where have you been this whole time? And she goes, and Queen Elizabeth goes, everywhere he's been like this the whole time since the day we married yeah he has supported her unconditionally and and philip reiterates he's like this is our job our job is to support her unconditionally in the role of queen if she needs to say this then she needs to say this um and it solidifies you know liz queen elizabeth and philip in the strength and then we see we're back to the the scene of the start of the episode where she's walking into the room and she states this speech where she apologizes as and um, she uses margaret's words she said to her family you have been my son and water. My son and water. And you see this really beautiful scene and the bond between the two sisters. That has always been a very strong part of this show. And we end in a way where Margaret <laughs> and Elizabeth are chatting on the phone because they were very famous for talking all the yep. time on the phone. Yep. And what does she say? She they, they they you know they reminisce and Margaret basically says, like, in in no so you know certain terms like i forgive you or or you know let's move on and then um she says she she's like, like yeah she says she loves she's like hey come over to my house and we'll get drunk over during the afternoon and queen elizabeth's all like i wish i could but i have six of these um engagements and then they um you know she's like well fine i'll just get drunk with rome rum and queen elizabeth's all like you drink rum You're, she's like no my dog yeah, she's like, no, my dog. And then Queen Elizabeth's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. My two dogs right now are called Brandy and Sherry. And then they share an, an, an I love you. And then there's a pause. And they're like, let's never do that. That was so middle class of us um, to share emotions. And then that the, the episode ends with them kind of back on terms. But with this air of you heard the newscaster while the her, you know, talk is being done that if she was looking for reconciliation and forgiveness from the people the people aren't really buying it fully and so you do have this undercurrent of the people aren't yet fully satisfied with the monarchy things are still not okay but that elizabeth and margaret are back on the same page Tempus fugit Right. And the episode ends with an image of Margaret and Peter Townsend, Margaret in the forefront and Peter in the back with his um, dates of being born in 1914 and dying in 1995. And then the episode ends. Yeah. End of the worst year. There are many more to come. Which is so funny because historically I'm all like, girl, you don't even know what's coming because 1996 and 1997 are going to be even 
worse. Worse. Oh boy. So well, that's we're, we're 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 leading up to um so for the tally for the listeners, Margaret is divorced and Peter Townsend is dead. Anne is divorced um, from her first husband. Andrew is in the process of getting divorced from Sarah Ferguson. And there are movements of separation happening, legal um, separations for Charles and Diana, which will kick us off into the next episode. We got a lot to talk about, AJ. Yes, we do. All right, listeners, we'll see you soon. Bye now.